Uh, Father, we know that our goal today is always is the same, and that's that we would make much of you. Uh, certainly, I know that was our goal through the singing that we did, that we would make much of your son, Jesus Christ, that we would lift him high. And certainly, that's the goal of our time now as we attend to the preaching of your word. We pray that you would be magnified, that you would be made much of, that the same attitude that characterized John the Baptist would characterize today when he said that he must become greater, John the Baptist referring to you, and John saying that he must become less. That's our prayer, that you would become greater today and that we would become less. Father, we pray that as we uh, dive into Hebrews chapter 10, that our hearts would be encouraged, their hearts would be challenged, that we would have an idea of what it means to be a member of a church. Father, we know that you care about your church because you sent your son to die for the church. And so again, our goal today is that you would be magnified, that you would be lifted up, and that at the end, as we walk out of this building today, that we would leave with a desire to worship you. That's the goal. So Father, would you uh, just help that goal to happen, that we would leave here worshiping. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for Christmas last year, one of our relatives from Iowa decided that instead of giving us a toy that would inevitably be thrown away, they would give us a membership to the Bronx Zoo. Now, um, I don't know if any of you have been to the Bronx Zoo. I'm guessing many of you have. I don't know if any of you have a membership. But in case you're wondering, here are the perks of membership at the Bronx Zoo. Most importantly, you get unlimited access or unlimited admission to the Bronx Zoo. In addition, you get unlimited admission to the Central Park Zoo, the Prospect Park Zoo, wherever that is, the Queen Zoo, and then the New York Aquarium. You also get free parking at the Bronx Zoo anytime you visit. And there are a variety of other smaller membership benefits. For example, you get 10% off at the gift shop. You get 10% off at select restaurants at the zoo. You get an unspecified discount at the 4D Theater. You get invitations to special members' evenings at the zoo. And of course, like all good memberships, you get a free t-shirt. Now, I don't know if the membership has been worth it or not. We actually uh, didn't start our membership until April, and so we're coming up on the end. We probably went to the zoo about a half dozen times this year. And for the most part, our kids seem to enjoy it. And yes, we did get the free t-shirt, although I don't think any of us have ever worn it. But other than that, I'm not sure what to say about the benefits of the membership. As far as gifts go, I suppose it was probably a better gift than just a toy that would inevitably have been thrown away. But aside from a discussion about the merits of the membership of the, at, at the Bronx Park Zoo, I will say this. I'm fascinated by the fact that they refer to it as a membership. It's interesting to me that they call it a membership because to me, it seems like a, a clearer description would be that it's a season pass or a year-long pass. To call it a membership is pretty interesting. I'm not sure what pushed it over the top. Uh, maybe the 10% discount at the gift shop was what changed the difference from being a pass to a membership. I'm not sure. But for whatever reason, they decided to call it a membership. Now, I suppose that's not surprising because it seems that organizations love this word. For example, if you go to a gym, chances are you don't have a gym pass, right? You have a membership to the local gym. Or if you go to Costco, they don't refer to you as a shopper. You are more than a shopper. You are a member. If you're Netflix, Netflix for crying out loud, you're not just a subscriber. You are a member of Netflix. Now, my guess is that this is an intentional marketing decision. It probably sounds more enticing to invite someone to membership than it does to say, hey, do you want to become a subscriber? Do you want to shop here? It sounds more exclusive. I think one of the effects of that is that when we talk about membership, we have a pretty loose definition of it, and it doesn't have a very high standard. Consider, for example, our membership in the zoo. For us to be a member of the zoo really just meant that we went to the zoo every now and again. It's not as if we played an intricate role in the success of the zoo. 
whether we showed up or not really made no difference to the zoo at all. As long as they had our money, they were more than content if we didn't show up. I feel confident in saying that the president or the CEO of the Bronx Zoo has no idea who we are, nor do they care how we're doing. And if you belong to Costco or Netflix, I feel confident in saying the same. The CEO of those companies has no idea who you are, unless they're your neighbor or something, but otherwise they have no idea who you are and they don't care what's going on in your life. And it's not as if it's just a, a disconnect between the leadership and the members. It's not like the members are tied together either. I can honestly say I don't know any other member at the Bronx Zoo. Now, maybe some of you are members, but I guess that would be my point, that I don't even know that you're a member. It's not like we're tied into this together, that we're all bonding together for the sake of bettering the Bronx Zoo. That's not the way it works. When we talk about membership, what we usually mean then is this, that we have access to some product or some service. And usually to get that product or to get access to that product or service, we pay a fee. And then the commitment is pretty loose. For example, when our zoo membership concludes in April, that'll be the end of it. And listen, I want you to know I'm okay with that. I don't, I don't particularly want the Bronx Zoo president to know who I am or to know what's going on in my life. And it doesn't really bother me that our membership, that we aren't bonded together with the other members. And I suspect that you probably feel the same way about your membership at Costco or the gym or Netflix. But the problem then is this, that when we talk about church membership, we import a lot of those ideas to church membership. And so because the the word has come to mean so little, and it means something of very little commitment, I think when we think about church membership, we think the same way. But when we talk about membership in the church, we're not talking about membership in the same way we're talking about Netflix or Costco or the local gym. When we're talking about membership in the church, we're talking about something that is more necessary to the Christian life and more necessary to the Christian mission. In fact, to be a member of the body of Christ is integral if you're going to be a Christian. So let me just say this. Uh, As we ask the question today, what does it mean to be a member of the church? I think we need to acknowledge from the start that there are no verses in the New Testament that speak uh, speak about membership. You won't find an example of a person going to a membership class in the New Testament. But it does seem that the New Testament assumes membership. For example, in 1 Corinthians, uh, there's a man who is living a sinful life, and, and the instruction is given that he should be excluded from the church. Well, in order to be excluded, you would have to assume at some level he'd already been included, that there's some sort of list that they're working from. In fact, there's a variety of different places in the New Testament in which it would seem that there was some way in which the church was able to obviously differentiate who was a member of the church and who was not. For example, last week, Acts 6, now, you remember the passage that we were talking about in relation to deacons. That the Hellenist widows are being neglected. Well, how did they know who was being neglected unless they had a list that they were working from? And so I think it's safe to assume that although, yes, the New Testament may not teach on membership per se, it's obvious that the New Testament churches had some sort of list of who belonged to the church. And so I think there's a case to be made for official church membership. That's why we have membership here at New Hope. That's why we have membership classes. And so as I'm asking the question today, what does it mean to be a member of a church? I do particularly have in mind, what does it mean to be a member who's covenanted together here at New Hope? But also I'll say this, that what I'm going to teach from Hebrews 10, I think has application for all Christians. It has application for all Christians. So understand that when I ask the question, what does it mean to be a member of, of, of the church? I am asking, what does it mean to be a member of New Hope? But I'm also asking in a broader sense, what does it mean to be a part of the body or to be a member of the body of Christ? 
And so, again, there is particular application for membership here, but there's also a broader application. What does it mean to be a member of the body of Christ? And so, with that in mind, let's turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 10. Now, uh, before we read this passage again, let me just say this. Uh, What I'm going to say today is by no means an exhaustive list of what it means to be a member in the church. In fact, if we were to just go and look at all the other places in the New Testament where it says uh, the one another's, love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, if we were just to make a list of that, we would have a lengthy list of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. So there's lots of passages we could have picked, but I think this one's helpful for reasons I'll explain in just a second. So Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now again, there's lots of passages we could have picked if we were trying to describe what does it mean to be a member of the body of Christ. But the reason I picked this one is I think not only does it give us a practical sense of what it means to be a member of the body of Christ, especially towards the last part, the last couple of verses, but also I think it lays the foundation for what it means to be a member in the body of Christ. And that foundation is crucial for the practical. And so I think Hebrews 10 does a really good job here of giving us the foundation of what it means to be a member, and then it gives us the practical in light of that. And so in this passage, passage, there are three exhortations that begin with this phrase, let us, let us. Three times the author of Hebrews does this. And I think those three let us phrases will serve as the framework for our answer to the question, what does it mean to be a member of the body of Christ? What does it mean to be a member of the church? So first, let's say this. Being a member of the body of Christ means drawing near to God through Jesus. Look at verses 19 to 22. All right, so verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, here's the first let us, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 19 begins with a transitional phrase, therefore. As I've said before, and as I'm sure I'll say again, when the word therefore is there, you need to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? What is it pointing us back to? And in this case, I think it's pointing us back to the earlier earlier section in chapter 10. In chapter 10, the author of Hebrews is making the clear point that Jesus made a sacrifice for sins. And that because of his sacrifice, we have forgiveness of sins. And so then as we look at verse 19, what the author of Hebrews is saying is this, in light of Christ's sacrifice... In light of the forgiveness that we have through Jesus, we can with confidence enter into the holy places through the blood of Jesus. Now clearly, this is an allusion back to the Old Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, Hebrews is probably the book that is the most heavy in its Old Testament references. And this is referring back to the temple system. Only once a year could the high priest go into the Holy of Holies, and then only with blood. 
And now what the author of Hebrews is saying is that since Jesus died, we now have access to the Holy of Holies. We have access to God through Jesus. That's why it says that we can be confident we have a high priest who is interceding for us. Well, all that explains then why in verse 22 he says that we can draw near to God with full, of, uh, with full assurance of faith because it's through Jesus. Because Jesus paid the punishment for sin. Because he tore down the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies. We now have access to God. Jesus took away our sin. He cleansed us from unrighteousness. And so I think that if we're going to talk about what it means to be a member of a church, we must start here. Being a member of the body of Christ means that we draw near to God through Jesus. This is where we must start. Now, I want you to think back here for a minute to our other memberships that you own. What are the requirements to be a member at Costco or the local gym or Netflix? Now, there might be a contract you have to sign, but really there's one requirement, right? It's that you pay the fees. That's it. That's all they really care about. Just make sure that you make, make sure to pay the money, right? That's what a requirement is for most memberships that we're aware of. But to be a member of the church is not like that at all, of course. Being a member of a church is not first and foremost about what you do. It's about what you believe. And that is a huge difference. It's not about what you do. It's about what you believe. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for sin? Do you believe that through Christ's sacrifice you have forgiveness of sins? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And because of that, you can have hope of conquering death too. This is the fundamental question we must ask if we're asking to be a member of the body of Christ. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Now, there are probably very few memberships in the world that you can't buy your way into. I'm sure you could think of some, but put it this way. There are very few memberships that would turn down Bill Gates with all of his money. But membership in the church does not work like that. No matter how much money you have, you cannot buy your way into membership in the church. No matter how much you do, you cannot earn your way into membership in the church. To be a member of the body of Christ is primarily, first and foremost, about believing in Jesus. When the rest of the New Testament addresses the church, it's addressing those who are believers in Jesus Christ. And so it's vital that we start our discussion here. Because if we move too quickly to what we must do, we will miss the point. If we simply talked about what a church member should do without talking about first the fact that we must believe in Christ, we would be wasting our time. If you did all the things that a church member should do, but you really didn't know Christ, you would be an imposter. It'd be like spray painting a rock gold. Maybe you could make it look like gold if you had some really good spray paint, but in the end, it's just a rock. And if you did all the things that a church member should do, and you went through all of the motions and you did it, but at your core you weren't a believer in Jesus Christ, you would be just as much an imposter as that rock. Because you're not really a church member at that point. Now let me make a distinction here. It's possible that you could be a member of New Hope, but not a member of the body of Christ. Here's what I mean. Our goal, of course, when we're interviewing people for membership or when they're filling out the membership application, is that we make sure that they're actually genuine believers. It's one of the imperatives of the New Testament that those who are members in the church, the local church, are actually believers in Christ. But it's possible that you could fill out that application perfectly and you could know all the right things to say and not actually be a member in the body of Christ. So I want to make that distinction here. It's possible that you could be a member here, even 
In fact, maybe there are some here today who are members in the church, New Hope, but you're not really a member of the body of Christ because you've never actually believed in Christ. So again, before we start any discussion of what we should do, we have to emphasize this. To be a member of the universal church, to be a member of the body of Christ, means first and foremost that you believe that Jesus is the Christ. And then it's from there that we are motivated to live differently. We must start here then. So let me just say this. Have you drawn near to God through Jesus? Have you recognized that Jesus is the great high priest? Have you understood that Jesus' death freed you up so that your sins can be forgiven? Have you repented of your sins and trusted Christ? Or to say it another way, because it's not just intellectual belief in Jesus, but do you treasure Jesus above all else? To be a member of the body of Christ, first and foremost, means this, that we draw near to God through Jesus. This is where we must start. Now, the second is actually like it. It's another foundational piece. The second let us in this passage is this, that being a member of the body of Christ means that we hold fast to our confession of faith. Look at verse 23 here. Verse 23 says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So this is the second foundational piece of what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. First, you draw near to God through Jesus, and then you persist in your faith. You hold fast to the confession of faith. One of the marks of a genuine Christian is that they will continue in their faith until they die. In fact, um, if someone were to say, well, how do I know that I'm a Christian? One of the, the, the greatest evidences I could say is you'll know you're a Christian if you continue in the faith until the end. The perseverance of the saints. If you are a genuine believer, you will continue and hold fast to the message. Even when the culture is going against you, you will still hold fast to the message. Or even when circumstances are hard and life is difficult, you will still hold fast to the message. Or even when persecution breaks out and you are mocked or ridiculed or scorned because of your faith in Christ, if you are a genuine believer, you will still hold fast to the message. And the reason that you will do so, and this is the key in verse 23, is because God is faithful. And you believe that his promises are true. That's what verse 23 is saying. The reason why we hold fast is because we believe that he is faithful. That's the key. The reason we persist in our faith is not because the culture loves the message. Or it's not because circumstances will always be easy. Or it's not because persecution won't come. No, the reason we hold fast to the faith is because he who promised is faithful. Listen, can I guarantee you that eventually the people of Westchester County will open up and warm up to the gospel message? I cannot. And can I guarantee you that your life will be easy and there will be no more sickness or pain or death? Of course I can't guarantee that. And can I guarantee you that you will always be free from persecution? That no person will ever persecute you because of your faith in Christ or that the government never will? I can't promise that either. But what I can guarantee you is this, that he who promised is faithful. And if he promises that those who believe in him have eternal life, you can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. If he promises that he's working for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose, in other words, Christians, if he promises that he's working for our good in all things, it's true. Because he who promises is faithful. If he promises that he will never leave or abandon or forsake his people, you can take his word because he's faithful. 
Right? If he promises that one day there'll be no more mourning or crying or pain, that's true too. You can take all of those promises to the bank because he who promised is faithful. And this is why we cling. This is why those who are members of the body of the Christ will continue to persist in the faith, even when circumstances are hard, even when persecution breaks out, even when the world is against us. We still cling fast because he who promised is faithful. Now again, I think it's critical that we start here before we move on to the practical aspects of what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. Because being a member of the body of Christ, first and foremost, means that you believe in Jesus and that you persist in that belief. And in light of that foundation, that's where the practical springs from. Now, if we were to flip those, that would be deadly. If we were to tell you, hey, being a church member means doing this and this and this, but we didn't tell you that first and foremost you must believe in Christ, that would be a deadly mistake to make. And so don't leave here today thinking, if I want to be a member of church, I've got to do these things. No, understand this, that to be a member of the church, and again, I'm speaking of the universal church now, means first and foremost believing in Christ. Now from there, there's something very practical. And that's the last thing we see in this passage, that being a member of the body of Christ means that we stir one another up to love and good works. Look at verses 24 and 25. Verse 24 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So foundationally, being a member of the church differs from almost any other organization, right? From a foundational standpoint, being a member of the church is primarily about what you believe, not about what you do. That's different than almost any other membership. But also this, practically, being a member of the church is different than almost any other membership too. When you belong to most clubs or most most organizations or most businesses as a member, the question is always, what do you get in return? What benefit do you get? If you're trying to decide whether to join the gym, this is the question you ask. What benefits do I get from joining this gym? Or if you're trying to decide whether to join Costco, what benefits do I get from this membership or any other membership? And understand this, there are definitely benefits from being a member of the church. But the question is not just what benefits do you receive, but also that you are to benefit the church. You are to play an active role in building up the church. That's the clear message of Hebrews 10. It's also the clear message of the rest of the New Testament. That if you are a part of the body of Christ, that you are to play an intricate role in building up others in the body of Christ. This is different than other memberships. Other memberships, you say, what benefit do I get? But the question is, how can you benefit the church? And by the church, I mean the people of God. I mean those who believe in Christ. Again, this is a concept seen throughout the New Testament. Let me show you two other places. All right, so 1 Corinthians 12. So flip back a few books here to 1 Corinthians 12. This is a passage that's well known for its imagery of the church as a body. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7. Let me read here, starting in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each, and this is the key verse, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the key message here in verses 4 to 7 is that God gives different gifts to different people in the church so that they can benefit the common good of the church. And then the rest of chapter 12 is this long extended metaphor about how the church is like a body. 
that there are some parts of the church that are like a hand, some that are like a foot, some that are like an eye. And the clear point of 1 Corinthians 12 is that the body is to help one another. That the hand is to help the foot, the foot is to help the eye, the eye is to help the hand, and, and so on and so forth. Right? That we're all tied together in this. This is clearly the point of 1 Corinthians 12, that we are a body that has different functions. But the point is that we are to use those different functions for the common good. This is the same message in Ephesians 4. All right, so just flip a few to the right from 1 Corinthians to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. All right, verse 11 of Ephesians 4 says this. It says, And he gave the apostles, he being God, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there's this picture again. It uses the same imagery of a body that as each part grows, the body itself is being built up. And so the point of Ephesians 4 is that God has gifted some in the church. That's verse 11, the, the, the teachers, the prophets, Right? He's given some in the church, gifted some in the church with the ability to teach. And those who teach are then to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's verse 12. Right? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, verse 16 makes it clear that the source of growth is Christ. But Christ is also the goal. We're to grow in Christ's likeness. And so the point of Ephesians 4 is this, that those who teach are to equip the saints, to equip all believers so they can do the work of ministry. The work of ministry is to build people up so they can be more like Jesus. This is the point of what's going on. This is what someone would refer to as an every member ministry, meaning that every person who is a part of the body of Christ has a role to play in ministry, that you are to minister to others in the body of Christ. This is the point of Hebrews 10. This is the point of 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. That we are all tied together and that the work of ministry is not just the role of elders or deacons like we talked about last week. It's every person's job. And so if you are a member of the body of Christ, and again, uh, I'm talking specifically maybe about members of New Hope, but also broadly about those who are members of the universal church, your job, the task that God has given you is to build up the other people in this room. To build up the other people around the world who are followers of Christ. Now, how will you do that? Well, again, this is where Hebrews 10 is helpful. So back to Hebrews 10 one more time. So Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let's look at the key phrase. And then I think 25 will start to fill in the blanks of, of what it looks like to build up one another. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. All right, so the key phrase here is that we are to consider. means we are to give thought to this. We're to think about how we can stir up one another to love and good works. Now, practically, how's that going to happen? Well, verse 25 starts to fill in some of the details. Verse 25 says this. First, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So let's just pause here and say this, that one of the ways that you can stir up one another is not neglecting to meet together. 
The fact is that meeting together is really important. Because it's when we meet together that we hear the Word of God preached. It's when we meet together that we sing songs and remind ourselves of these truths that we believe. When we meet together, we participate in the Lord's Supper, or we see baptism happen, and this encourages us. When we meet together, we pray together, as we're going to do here in just a little bit. There's an analogy that I heard from a pastor named J.D. Greer a few years ago that's been helpful for me. He compared the Christian life to that of a balloon. He says that uh, we as Christians are like this balloon, not one filled with helium, but we're one that you hit up in the air, right? And, And as the week goes on, oftentimes we get discouraged. We start to float to the ground. And then we come to church, and we get hit back up in the air. And we get reminded, no, Christ is worth living for. That there's nothing more satisfying than living for Jesus. That there's nothing better than living for Jesus. And then we go back and we start to live out our week and we start to float down again. Right? We get discouraged because work is hard and circumstances are hard and relationships are messy. And so we start to float back down to the ground again. And we come on Sunday and we get hit back up in the air and we get reminded, no, keep living for Jesus. Keep pursuing Christ. There's nothing that will satisfy more than Jesus. And so we come together so we can be hit back up in the air and encouraged to keep pursuing the faith. Now, if you're involved in a care group or discipleship groups, hopefully you have some midweek hits also, right? You're getting hit multiple times during the week. That's great. Hopefully you have relationships with fellow believers during the week where you're, maybe you're sending texts or you're, or you're meeting for some other reason just for fun. And again, you're getting hit up in the air, but this is the point. And specifically, we are to gather corporately so all those things like preaching, singing songs, Lord's Supper, Uh, baptism, prayer, all these things can happen together so that we're hit back up in the air. So when you neglect to meet together, there are two problems. There's two problems. One is that you're just ignoring Hebrews 10. You're just saying, well, yeah, that doesn't really apply to me. I'm fine. The other problem is that you're not getting that hit back up in the air that you desperately need. Now, I'm not talking here that you have to be here and we're going to start taking an attendance list every week. I'm not going to say you can never miss for vacation or uh, if you're having a baby next week that you can't miss, right? Like, Shauna, you're you're excused next week because you're having a baby. Okay, that's fine. I'm not talking about those situations. No, I'm not talking about you have an occasional business trip. But what I'm saying is this, that if you regularly neglect to meet together, no matter how good your reason you think it is, and, and I'm sure in your mind you think, oh, this is the greatest reason. Like, it's, it's okay for us to miss regularly because of this. It's such a great reason. No matter how great that reason is, you are putting yourself in a danger zone. Because part of being a member of the body is that you're just committed to being together. Right? That's what Hebrews 10 is saying. It says, do not neglect to meet together. It says, let us conser- consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And the next thing it says is, do not neglect to meet together. Who knows? Who knows? Perhaps something you say in the fellowship time as you're just standing around and talking will be the very means by which someone else is encouraged to keep pursuing Christ this week. Or who knows, maybe something you hear during the worship service or something we sing will encourage you so that you go back to work or that you go back to your family and there's some difficult issue you've been dealing with and you're encouraged to view it through a Christ-like lens. Or who knows, maybe some act of kindness that you show to someone while you're here will remind them of the love of Christ. They'll see you loving them and they'll be reminded how Jesus cares for them too. Listen, I think this passage is clear. If we want to stir one another on, if we want to stir one another up and encourage one another, we must meet together. Now, uh, there's a second element here, and that's this, that we are to encourage one another. Verse 25, 
Verse 25 says this, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're to encourage one another. We're to give each other confidence that pursuing Christ is worth it. We're to help one another. We're to say words verbally that will encourage people to keep pursuing Christ. Now, I think the end of this phrase is really important. It says, as you see the day drawing near. In other words, we're encouraging people in light of the fact that Jesus will return. And so what that means, I think, is this. That when it says to encourage, it's not just talking about generic encouragement. Like, oh, I really like your coat. Or your hair is really nice. Or your biceps are really huge today. Or whatever you're going to say. Some of those are weirder than others, right? You probably, the bicep one's kind of strange. But whatever you're saying, right? You're giving this encouragement. That's, that's not what we're talking about. That's great. Go ahead and do that. If you want to encourage someone about their biceps today, by all means, go for it. But that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. We're talking about something more intentional. We're talking about encouraging one another as it relates to the faith. We're talking about encouraging one another as it relates to the mission of the church. And this is where we start to tie together what we've been talking about the last several weeks. Remember two weeks ago we talked about the mission of the church. We said the mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel, to preserve the gospel, and to display the gospel. Then last week we talked about how officers, the elders and deacons, fulfill those roles. But here's the thing. I think it might be worth asking today. How can you encourage your fellow members of the body of Christ in these three areas? Right? How can you encourage your fellow members to proclaim the gospel? How can you encourage your fellow members to preserve the gospel? How can you encourage your fellow members to display the gospel? So let's just start with the first one. How can you encourage, how can we encourage one another to proclaim Christ? So I'll, I'll just start maybe brainstorming here. What are some things you could do to encourage others to proclaim Christ? Well, maybe it's as simple as asking questions and saying, have you had any chances this week to share Christ with anyone? Or maybe it's as simple as saying, hey, I'm just letting you know, I'm praying for you this week that you have opportunities to proclaim Christ to someone. Or maybe you share a story where you got to, to talk about Christ with a non-believer. And as you share that story, it encourages someone else, you know what, I could do that too. Or maybe it means that you're proclaiming Christ to a fellow believer here. Someone's going through a difficult circumstances, and as you're upstairs in the fellowship time, you just speak a gospel truth to them. And you remind them of what Christ did on the cross. You encourage them in this way. And you encourage them then, as you're doing that, to encourage others in the same way. Or maybe this idea of, of uh, encouraging others to proclaim Christ means that you invite a non-believing family over from work. And you also invite another church member along as well. And you're encouraging them in, in that you're being intentional with this non-believing friend at work, but you're also being intentional in encouraging your fellow members of the body of Christ. Or maybe it means that you memorize a verse together. Here's one that I might recommend. It's our theme verse, Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Maybe you memorize that verse with a fellow believer and then regularly you ask each other, how's that going? Are you proclaiming Christ regularly? Are you growing in maturity? I think these are the types of things that we can do if we want to encourage one another to proclaim Christ. Now maybe you're thinking, well, all that sounds weird. It sounds like that would be awkward to do those types of things. And my point, or my response would simply be this. Those types of things should not be awkward to us. It should not be awkward for fellow members of the church to say, have you had opportunities to talk about Christ this week? In fact, that should be the norm. 
Now, it may be awkward at first, and we may have to push through it. It may be difficult. But these are the types of conversations that should be happening regularly if we are a healthy church. Because we should be encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. And so that means our encouragement can't just be generic level encouragement. It has to be encouragement related to who Christ is and the mission of the church. So how can we encourage one another to proclaim Christ? How can we encourage one another to preserve the gospel? Right? That's the second aspect of the mission. How could we encourage each other in this area? Well, I think we can do things like this. We can remind each other that this book is the Word of God. And if this is where we find truth, and if this is how we know how to preserve the gospel, then we can ask each other questions like, how has your reading been going? Have you been reading the Bible recently? Right? And as we do that, we're encouraging them to preserve the gospel. Because as they read, and as they're encouraged to read, this will help them to defend the message. As I said a couple of weeks ago, we can be careful not to assume the gospel with one another. I made that application in terms of our kids. But we can do that with each other, too. One of the ways that you encourage one another to preserve the gospel is just by asking people what their story is. Maybe ask someone today, as you're up in fellowship time, hey, I've never heard your testimony. Will you share how you came to know Christ? Or tell me how your spiritual journey is going lately. I wonder, of all the members at New Hope Fellowship, how many of them do you actually know their testimony? How many of them, if I were to ask you, how, hey, how is so-and-so doing in their faith, would you be able to answer? These are things that should be normal, that we should be able to say, oh yeah, I know their testimony, or oh yeah, I know how they're doing, right? Because we're invested in encouraging one another to preserve the gospel. I think we can encourage each other in this area also by living out uh, the truth of the Bible, even when it's hard, right? Even when people question us about how the Bible teaches on certain issues, whether it be the dignity of life or sexuality or, or the truthfulness of the word, we can remind each other and we can encourage each other by standing firm even when people oppose us. Right? And as we stand firm and as we don't back down, this will encourage others to preserve the gospel too. In fact, in Philippians 1, this is the exact argument that Paul is making. In Philippians 1, Paul says that he's been thrown in prison and he says that being thrown in prison has actually served to advance the gospel and encourage fellow believers. Why? Because as they saw Paul willing to take a stand for the truth, they were willing to take a stand too. So if you want to encourage your fellow believers in this room, be willing to stand up for truth. And as you do, they will be encouraged to do likewise. Right? Maybe there's other things you could do too. But the point is that we should be thinking, how can we encourage one another to preserve the gospel? The same with displaying the gospel. Maybe encouraging one another in this area is as simple as asking, how have you had opportunities to display Christ this week? Again, just a normal conversation. We're just saying, how, how have you had chances to share Christ? Or maybe it's actually displaying the love of Christ to them. Taking them a meal when they're sick. Giving them a text when they've had a terrible day. Or sending them a text when they've had a great day. Right? And as you show the love of Christ and display the love of Christ, they'll be encouraged to do likewise to other believers when they're going through situations. Maybe it's deciding that you'll do ministry together. Right? You'll display the love of Christ together. Maybe it's local service project. You serve a meal somewhere. You volunteer at a nursing home. You help a, a family that's in need of home repairs. Or maybe it's going on an international mission trip and displaying the love of Christ. And you decide to do that together so you can encourage one another. Or maybe it's even more simple than that. Maybe it's as simple as, as refusing to participate in gossip. Right? As you do that, that encourages others to display the love of Christ in this area, knowing that gossip is one of the quickest paths to disunity in the church. And so when you refuse to participate, that's you displaying the gospel. 
And maybe it's encouraging someone else to keep a close watch over their tongue so that they won't lead to disunity either. Listen, the point is there's lots of things we can do. And I'm not trying to think of every way that you can encourage someone to proclaim the gospel or preserve the gospel or display the gospel. But what I am trying to do is to get your mind thinking and to get you to think, how can I encourage the people in this room to live for Christ? Because this, the church, is not meant to be a solo activity. This is a group project. We are living this together. And the last thing you want to do is just be thinking, oh, I'm not connected at all. No, you are very much connected. And it is your job to encourage your fellow believers in this area. Listen, it's not just your job to proclaim the gospel, preserve the gospel, to display the gospel. It's your job to encourage others to do likewise. Excuse me. It's your job not only to live those things out yourself, but to encourage others to do the same. This is the whole point of Hebrews 10. It's saying that we are to spur one another on. It's the point of 1 Corinthians 12, that we are like a body living together. It's the point of Ephesians 4, that every member has been given a ministry in the church. Now, as a member of the Bronx Zoo, I'll say this. I'll be only a member for a few more weeks. It doesn't matter to me whether fellow zoo members go to the zoo. And it doesn't matter to me whether their love for the zoo is increasing or decreasing. It doesn't matter to me if they're living out the zoo's mission. I don't even know what the zoo's mission is. Being a member in a zoo doesn't entail any of those things. But I fear that oftentimes we take that same mindset and we apply it to church. That we think that it's just coming and observing. And maybe occasionally if we feel real guilty, we'll drop some money in the offering boxes as sort of dues, just like we would pay to the zoo. But then we just move on. We're just a passive consumer, just like a member at the zoo. But being a member in the body of Christ does not work like that. It doesn't work like that at all. To be a member in the body of Christ, to be a member in the church, means first and foremost that you have a faith in Christ that persists. And then it means that you encourage others to grow in Christ-likeness. And so practically, I think what this means is that when we hear of other people going through difficulties, our first response shouldn't be, oh, someone else should help them. I think that's how we naturally think. We hear of someone who's having marital difficulties, or we hear of someone who's having troubles in parenting, or someone who's having difficulties at the job, and we automatically think either, one, well, we should send them to a counselor, or two, we should talk to the elders. And listen, both those things may be necessary at times. But if we are going to be living out the message of the gospel, then we should also be thinking, well, how can I encourage this person in this situation? How can I be a part of helping them to live for Christ? Listen, helping out the body of Christ is not something that we outsource to other people. This is our job. This is what we're called to do. This is not, listen, this is not my church. This is not the elders' church. This is not your church. This is our church. And we are to live out the faith together. Now, ultimately, of course, it is his church. But the great part is that he gives us a role to play. The question is, will we play that role? Will we live out what God has commanded us to do? Will we live out the mission and will we encourage others to do so? Will we build up the body of Christ? Will we stir one another up and encourage one another to do love and good works? And will we do so because we love Jesus so much ourselves that we desperately want others to do the same? This is what it means to be a church member. Let's pray.
Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Hebrews 10. And we're praying, God, that we would, first and foremost, put our hope in you. We're praying that we would persist in our faith. And then we're praying that we would take very seriously this idea that we are a part of the body of Christ together. God, help us to think of ways we can encourage one another and stir one another on. To stir one another up to love and to good works. Father, we need your help. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.